you know, one of the things I'm always saying is that if this country is going to get better, if this country is going to go on the right path, we have to step up as a community. Veterans are the sleeping giant in this country, and it is time for us to step up. That's why I want to talk to you about the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina. Now, you might have thought about the Citadel in the past as this Corps of Cadets, this military institution, but they have programs for veterans that don't involve you joining the Corps of Cadets, don't involve you wearing a uniform every day, and don't involve you living a military lifestyle. If you want to do that, great. But if that's not what you're up for right now after your military career, then you don't have to do that. And you can access some of the best programs in the world. The Citadel has some hot degrees in intelligence, tactical strength and conditioning, engineering, and project management. And there's five student-type options for veterans. There's graduate college, there's evening undergraduate, there's active duty students, non-cadet day program, returning cadet veterans, and online programs. The academic offerings include undergraduate, graduate, college transfer, graduate certificates, and online degrees. Veterans have access to every single academic degree the college offers, and they have the most flexibility when it comes to their schedule. They can major in anything offered to the cadets and would take those classes during the day with the cadets. But then there's other programs offered in the evening or online and graduate programs to choose from, too, to make things so flexible for you. The U.S. World and News Report has named the Citadel the number one college for veterans in the South. And for veterans who choose to take classes on campus, they get to be a civilian student in a military environment. They don't have to wear uniforms, like I said before. They don't have to join the military culture of the Corps of Cadets. The atmosphere is a really good transition environment from military to civilian life. There's an organic mentorship that comes from taking classes with the cadets. The cadets want to talk to you guys. They want to hear your stories. They want to know what it was actually like to be in the military. A lot of, the, a lot of these men and women are going to go on to serve as officers in the military, and they're going to exact change, and they need to hear from you guys. They, You also get access to the Citadel's alumni network. Like I said, this is one of the most illustrious institutions in the world, and when you join the Citadel and you graduate, you're part of their alumni network. That includes so many leaders. It includes so many business leaders, so many leaders from the military, and so many leaders from the government. The college's core values of honor, duty, and respect align with veteran culture. They align with who you are, and it's something that you're not going to get anywhere else in this country. Uh, There is tons of special assistance for veterans at the Citadel, and whether you're a veteran or active duty military personnel, you can take advantage of these programs. You also get access to the Veteran Student Success Center, the Career Center, the Academic Success Center, the Student Veteran Association, and all campus clubs. If you want to play rugby, you could do that. If you you want to lift weights, you could do that. You get access to everything that the students get. There's fellowship opportunities. There's tons and tons of financial assistance. So if you're interested in getting a degree from the Citadel and building your life, head over to citadel.edu slash veterans. This is Chris Albert, and I'm here to remind you of one thing. Someday, you're going to die. That's not some morbid statement or scary idea. It's solid fact. Your time here on this earth is limited. And we need to be 
purpose as much as possible for one simple reason, to live your best life while you can. This is the Warrior Soul Podcast. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Warrior Soul Podcast. My name is Chris Albert. This podcast is where we deliver tools, tactics, strategies, and ideas to help the U.S. military veteran community and anybody else willing to listen to live their absolute best lives. Um, Today, I'm going to be joined by a friend. His name is Dr. Michael Robillard. Uh, Dr. Robillard is a Army veteran, served as a United States Army officer, as a West Point graduate, uh, he was deployed to Iraq. He is also a PhD in philosophy. He got his PhD from the University of Connecticut and then went on to do a postdoc at the University of Oxford in England and then has since worked at the University of Notre Dame and is now pursuing a outside effort to kind of shine the light on what has been going on in academia over the past few years and what has been going on in academia over the past few years. Well, if you haven't noticed, things have gotten very woke within academia. Uh, and there's nothing wrong, I want to say this up front, there's nothing wrong with woke ideas. There's nothing wrong with people putting things out there outside of the norm, right? I don't have any problem with postmodernism or critical theory or anything like that. What I have a problem with is the idea that there is any one single way to think. You see, the issue with academia these days is that if you are approaching things from anything other than a critical or postmodern perspective or a woke perspective, then you are systematically pushed out. Now, how do I know this? Well, I was also in academia. Uh, up until a few years ago, I was pursuing a PhD in political science at the University of California at Santa Barbara. Uh, and I was pursuing this craft from a quantitative perspective. And one of the things that happened with me was that I kind of saw the writing on the wall about 10, 11 years ago and decided that I didn't want to be a professor in the social sciences. It just wasn't going to go well for people with my perspective. Um, our kids who are heading off to college or pursuing higher education are not being presented with a balanced perspective. They're being presented with uh, a, a systematic approach to change thought. Uh, and if you're not familiar with what critical theory is, it's basically a system of thought that focuses on challenging power structures, uh, tearing down norms, dissecting them, and then kind of questioning everything. There is no truth, uh, and any attempts to impose truth or, or try to find the truth systematically through scientific means is considered a form of oppression. So uh, in some critical theory circles, the very use of quantitative methods, scientific methods, numbers is an oppressive device. Um, Michael has also kind of seen the writing on the wall 
and he is noticing the impact it is having on society. If you have any alternative perspective that doesn't match up with what they consider the the preferred way of seeing things, then then you are systematically pushed out. It's happening over and over again. We're seeing it over and over again. I'm seeing it pop up everywhere. And Michael and I get into a good conversation about why this is the case and what the potential solutions are. Some of this conversation might venture out into the weeds, and and I definitely want to ask you to stick with it. Um, we do get into some practical things, and and the bottom line is is this: this battle, this war, is not just going to be won on Twitter and on social media. It's also not going to be won with violence or by by name calling or or any of the other crap we see out there. Um, the way it'll be won is by you guys going out there and living a good life, going out there, earning money, having fantastic careers, um, teaching your children well, being participants in your local community. We get into that quite a bit. Uh, and I, I really urge you guys not just to listen here, but to to make a commitment to go out and have an impact on your community, a positive impact on your community. Lead by example. And I believe that this country is the greatest country in the world and that we can turn things around. And I say that to you, regardless of what race you are, what, what, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, whether you are somebody who is rich or somebody who is poor, you can have an impact here by doing some of the things we talk about today. So without further ado, let's get into this conversation with myself and Dr. Michael Robillard. What's up, Mike? Welcome back to the Warriors Soul Podcast. How you been, man? Uh, not too bad, man. Not too bad. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a while. It's been, what, three years, I guess? Since, uh, yeah, two and a half, started. three years, something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. What have you been working on? Uh, a lot of different things, man. You know, I think last time we talked, I was I was at Oxford trying to do stuff with uh, counterterrorism, uh, counterterrorism ethics. And, uh, you know, th- that was going along fine, finishing up a book on uh, civil military relations and, and veterans issues. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up getting a postdoc in Notre Dame last year. So I jumped to that I- instead. And I uh, just finished up doing that in June. And uh, I guess I was, I don't know, a bit uh, upset with the, the wokeness of, uh, of academia. And, you know, we were talking, we, we, we were talking, yeah, we talked quite a bit about that just for the audience. T- yeah. Tell them a little bit about who you were before you got in academia. What, what, what would you do and, and where do you come from too? Just yeah. Yeah. Uh, good point. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, former West point grad, uh, graduated in 02, uh, did one tour in Iraq in, in 03 and 04 with the 82nd airborne division, uh, finished up there in 07 or so. Uh, that was my only tour. Then I, I got out and, and got into grad school for philosophy, doing military ethics, uh, mainly focusing on, like I said, civil military relations and uh, the the dis the what I saw as the, the lopsided distribution of war fighting responsibilities onto a very thin sliver of uh, of American society. So my dissertation essentially it's like a long argument for a return to a draft or a citizen soldier model of service. Gotcha. Uh, that so and that that's what got me to Oxford. Mm-hmm. So, 
Awesome. And, and so like you've, you've been doing that, you got out of your PhD program, you were at UConn, right? And then yeah. um, you went over to, uh, to Oxford, you're doing the postdoc there. And then, um, and then you went over to Notre Dame. Uh, yeah. So, so what has been going on in the world of academia these days? Uh, I mean, it looks from the outside a little bit crazy. Um, wh- what have you been noticing and why, uh, why are you feeling that pressure there? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it, uh, I'm glad that confirms some of my thoughts because from the inside, it, it felt and still feels pretty crazy as well. I, I know we were talking about this a bit in 2018, but now by 2021, uh, I feel a lot of, uh, if you want to call it wokeism or uh, intersectionality and, and then sort of the expressions in its more pernicious form in CRT and transgenderism, you know, it's, it's really strengthened even in the last two and a half years or so. Uh, so much so that I decided to write an article about a month ago that I published on Substack. Uh, and it was entitled, uh, uh, how, how I left academia or how academia left me. And it's just comment, commenting on, yeah, what wokeism essentially taking over the, the, the academy even further. And, uh, since then, I think I've had you know twenty four thousand views and and dozens of academics and students and, and colleagues reaching out to me to say I'm glad you wrote that that that's um, that confirms uh, my experience as well. I'm just you know I can't, I can't say anything because I, I haven't got tenure yet, etc. Uh, so yeah. I think it's a pretty pretty system wide kind of problem. Would so so give me some specifics on what kind of things you were noticing. Like I I know there's there's this general feeling of, of wokeism, but like what's like a tangible thing that that that's happened or, or or that you've experienced? Well, I mean, I think you know by now most people are familiar with what happened with Brett, uh, Weinstein at Evergreen in 2017. They've seen the mobs surrounding Jordan Peterson and uh, folks like that. Uh, since then, there's been several. Uh, arguments, particularly within philosophy, made trying to respond to the transgenderist ideology. Uh, there's one woman, a fem- third-wave feminist named Rebecca Tuval, who wrote an article arguing for transracialism uh, in Hypatia. Um, what is that? Hypatia is the leading feminist. Uh, well, I mean, what is transracialism? So the idea being that, that that you could just declare yourself like I could just if I felt like I was a black guy, I could just declare myself as such. And then I would be one or, or you have to regard me as one. So that's a complete uh, that's that's a complete legitimate logical entailment of transgenderism. Uh, and she was drug over the coals for that and, um, you know, completely maligned. And, uh, you know, a bunch of people calling for her resignation. Uh, Holly Wofford Smith. Was she feminist. being serious about it or was it like meant to be like? It was, a, a, it was like an academic exercise. It was saying, look, if we accept that um, one can uh, stipulate that they are a, a different sex, right? When I mean, we call it gender, but, you know, they're, they're, that's what they're stipulating. Why can't we do the same thing with race? And, you know, it's. Right. You know, philosophers and, and academia, it's supposed to be a space where people can kind of test out different ideas. But, you know, the, the shame mobs and like the death threats uh, really came after. Mm-hmm. Um, and academia sort of split along those lines to to either come to her defense or to to try to call for her resignation. So, I mean, 
that's like that's like one instance right and it's i don't think that that is a um it's not a good data point uh to be happening in, in, a, in a free and open society you know especially if somebody who's ostensibly was a leading edge progressive about two years ago is now suddenly being cannibalized. And, and you're seeing the same thing that this happened to JK Rowling and Noam Chomsky probably about a year ago as well. So it's a, it's a very odd uh, far left cannibalization that's happened. What, so, so just for the audience at home, I mean, like who is Noam Chomsky? I know who Noam Chomsky is, but who is Noam Chomsky and, and you know, why, why, what, what do you mean by cannibalized? Like, right. Uh, so, you know, Chomsky uh, made his uh, academic contribution mainly in linguistics. So he's, he, you know, made a lot of good developments in theories of linguistics and um, semantics and syntax. He's, he's sort of the uh, main founder of deep grammar. But beyond that, he became like a huge, like, kind of crack political theorist, having no training in political theory whatsoever. But, you know, he's one of these smart ivory tower guys at MIT they can make a, a lateral move into political theory and a lot of people listen to him. So, you know, he wrote uh, manufacturing consent in whatever late eighties, early nineties. And um, that became sort of his hallmark book to, to critique essentially the entire underpinnings of, of Western civilization and, and America uh, arguing, you know, that all of these institutions are, are really systems of power that are, that are controlling people and et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, it's uh, sort of your boilerplate um, at the time, far left critique of, of America and, and Western civilization. But uh, he had always been the, the godfather of critiquing, um, uh, you know, American values up until like I said, maybe uh, a couple of years ago, and now suddenly they are turning on the godfather of of the left and saying that he's not progressive enough because he's not bending the knee to cancel culture and critical race theory and, and transgender. Did he sign on to like a letter calling for more academic freedom or something? He did, like that? yeah. Yeah, and several several other, you know, Peter Singer, um, other folks that are, you know, they're the, your sort of canonical uh, left-leaning environmentalist uh, vegan uh, sort of folks. It just, it, it wasn't enough for this, this new, you know, pernicious version of, of leftism that is um, hostile, exceptionally hostile to the idea of, of having free and open speech and discussion in academia. All right. So, so what does this mean for, you know, the audience at home, right? Most of these guys and gals are getting out of the military. Some of them are trying to go to college. What, what is What are they stepping into? I mean, I would say at this point, it's a pretty, pretty, um, pretty saturated space. Right. I mean, some of you are going to have you're going to have holdouts like at certain places at Oxford and certain pockets of Notre Dame, maybe at more um, Catholic or traditionally conservative schools like a Claremont or Hillsdale. But for the most part, it's, you know, broad, broad liberal arts colleges and, and your Ivies even, I think, have have capitulated to the the, the pressures of, of the, the shaming mobs. 
And, uh, you know, this has echoes or as hallmarks of some of the, the far leftist student movements of, of Maoist China. It has hallmark elements of, um, you know, 1917, uh, you know, Soviet Union has elements of like Pol Pot. Um, so any, any sort of, you know, if you speed up on, you read any Solzhenitsyn and his commentary on how the uh, academics were essentially um, overtaken and then eventually cannibalized. He was from the Soviet Union and yes, Archipelago. Because I know this, you know this, but they, the people at home, they don't, you know what I mean? They, yeah, they might yeah. not know it, but he yeah. was somebody who actually survived the Soviet gulags. And, yes. Yeah. And wrote and about how Pulitzer Prize uh, winning writer, um, you know, yeah, spent uh, an exceptionally long time in, in the gulags and, and wrote about it and essentially did like a postmortem um, analysis of like, what, what was it? How, how did it happen to his country? And right. I think that's the thing, like Americans uh, always think that like, oh, that's, that's something that happened in history. Or that's the type of thing that happens in some other, you know, banana republic somewhere. But never here, never, never uh, in in America. And I think that what we're seeing now is the beginning of. Uh, Rod Dreher refers to it as the uh, the creeping pink police state. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's you know that kind of soft totalitarianism is latent in not just academia but the military and um, you know the sports and media and Hollywood. Uh, a lot of the institutions, both free market and state are, are laden with this, this unquestioned, unquestionable woke uh, ideology. Do you, do you think that, you know, the, I mean, what it sounds like to me, this is like a, a it's actually a minority of people who are, are, are driving this. It's not, yep. you know, your average everyday, uh, not your average everyday Democrat. And just like, you know, the, uh, some of the right wing extreme groups are, are, aren't your average everyday Republicans. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, I mean, why is a minority wielding so much power in academia and in, in popular culture and, and across the uh, social media sphere? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I, well, I mean, first of all, let let me agree with you there. I think, I think that is correct. I think it is a very small, uh, minority, but I mean, they're exceptionally vocal and they're exceptionally well organized and they're very good at using social media and collective tactics to shame everybody else or to cow everybody else into silence. So even your, yeah, your, your center left, um, economic, uh, liberal or something is, is pretty much shut down by, by a lot of these far left, uh, I don't know. I don't want to call them arguments, but um, uh, ideologues. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just they, they, they're, they've been very, very good at being the squeaky wheel and getting what they uh, yeah, getting people to pay attention to. them, And, and then people aren't on the left stepping up to, to really shut them down heavily. Yeah. I, I mean, I also think that there's this there's this innate desire amongst people that try to appear smart or sophisticated and things like that. And I think a lot of people latch on to these, these ideologies because they want to seem like they're in, 
in some sort of club, some sort of elite yes. club of yeah. people who yeah, think yeah. like this. And, and, you know, particularly you see that around Hollywood, you see that mm-hmm. in, in, in the media, um, you know, and, and people want to hang that flag and they want to, they want to appear to be a member of the cool club. Right. Yes. Yep. Yeah. That's your, uh, that, that's an excellent analysis. Yeah. Your, the, the minimal entry, the entry into the cool club is that, is that you need, you need to genuflect before, before the, the, um, you know, the, the secular idols of, of the present moment. And, and that's, it seems like what these are. And if you do that and you speak the lingo, then you're part of the club. Yeah. Right. Right. Now, you know, I mean, I think one of the things that, that, one of the ways they get to you is, you know, you think about the history of this country, which hasn't always been awesome, right? right. Slavery yeah. was an absolutely horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the, prior to the civil rights movement, you know, so many horrible things happening to Afri- African Americans, you know, things that happened to to uh, Native Americans and things like that. Um, at the same time, I mean, if you actually look at this country, uh, in comparison to other places, the the amount of opportunity here to yep. all people, the the amount of of freedom that people have here to express themselves, to to create things, to to build things. Yep. I mean, it's 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 been, uh, you know, in my opinion, it's 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 an amazing feat to have a country like this. Um, but I think the way they get you is by, you know, rightfully so shining a light on these things and, and getting us to, to see them, but but also to take it a step further and saying, no, this country can't change. It's not, yep. it's not, it's never changed. It's never gotten better. It's right, right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think so. I mean, it's that, I mean, no doubt that our country, like any country, has or any sovereign nation that exists at all has some sort of history of conflict and and uh injustice and violence and we should definitely own up to those those darker parts of of our country's history but on balance like in total the you know it, it comes down to whether or not you affirmatively believe that the country is a good country overall and that its existence is a good thing and a beacon for the world. And more broadly, I would say the same about Western civilization, or you think that it's rotten to the core and we have a moral duty to uh, erase it. And, you know, you're beginning to see this with the, um, you know, increasing uh, attacks on, you know, churches and Columbus statues and, and, and historical monuments in general, and then rewriting of, of the history books to say that, yeah, this, this country, it was, it was unjust from the core and everything that's followed from that is somehow unjust. And then there's some irreparable karmic debt that needs to be repaid in, until we fully erase the project as such. And I just think that that's, that's going way overboard. That That's not even something that MLK would have been uh, on board with. His was a forward looking, um, uh, vision um, as a Christian Aristotelian vision. It wasn't a um, let, let's uh, balance the karmic scales vision. 
So let me ask you this, you know, what people know what the Soviet Union did, right? They, they know what Stalin did and it's out there. It's in the history books. Why this obsession with Marxism, with communism, with, um, you know, the, the, this whole equality of outcome thing? I, get, I mean, well, I guess I would probably uh, contest you on that first point. I, I think that the majority of Americans and particularly this new wave of college students, that they're not very grounded in the histories of, of these, these failed and, and violent and pernicious communist and socialist projects that, that have been attempted over and over and over again. I mean, you, you could run it back to the um, the Jacobins and the reign of terror, right? It's it's that same um, complete disregard for any any gratitude uh, to our forebears, a complete disregard of any other moral or prudential value aside from equality of outcome. And it's like, why should that be the case? Why should he, in the moral universe, why should equality trump everything, right? Like you, you have other values, you have merit, you have virtue, you have liberty. Um, but for whatever reason, it's this one runaway value of, of uh, equality or, 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 or equity, um, you know, equality of outcome that just it, it ends up bulldozing the foundations of everything. And then, you know, it's like you've, you're your country, you end up sawing off the limb that you're sitting on. So even the people attempting to like, you know, create some new revolution out of scratch, they actually end up usually um, not doing so well. What, what is the way out of this? Um, I mean, I think several things, right? I mean, first of all, I think we need to return to, uh, you know, our, our, our uh, Christian and, uh, classically Western uh, values. You know, we need to, to, to get back to the great books, get back to the classics, get back to the, to the Western canon. Uh, I think we need to have an, a real return to an, a robust notion of citizenship, right? You know, you have so much tribalism on the left and the right, but like seldom just does the word of like the concept of citizen enter into the equation but then you'll hear this within like your audience knows this well the veteran community i you know i'm preaching at the choir but i feel like we we're inculcated with a, a a notion of citizenship in the classical like greek sense and that it seems to have really really fallen out of the the, the popular discourse right now so i guess that'd be the second thing um and i think the third thing is like to encourage people to just have some kind of like gratitude, you know, it's like if everybody is um, just excessively focused on how, why somebody else has something they don't or why something didn't work out the way they did. If, you know, if it's just this, this loop of envy and uh, anger and, and no orientation towards gratitude, then, you know, that, that's just not a, a good, that's not a good mindset to be in as an individual. And it's certainly not a good mindset to have uh, amongst a broad base of your citizenry. With this, this idea of, of citizenship, right? So, um, you know, you can go down a lot of different rabbit holes in that, but, but 
you know, what to you means being a good citizen? What is that? Um, I would say, you know, having a, I think it's an, it's an extension of the, you know, a, a Christian notion of, of neighborliness, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm treating others as I'd like to be treated. I'm, I'm respecting other people's uh, boundaries, but I'm also, um, you know, demanding that they respect mine. And, um, you know, if I, uh, leave my uh, my lawnmower on the edge of your lawn or something, you know, rather than um, you going to the court and, su- and suing suing me uh, mm-hmm. and running to this like ultra litigious means. Rather, you just come over to me and say, hey, man, you know, uh, want to be careful next time and, and don't leave your lawnmower at the edge of my my lawn. And then I say, OK, sorry, man, my bad. And then we we just we're just neighborly to one another. Right. And I think that people are extend that, um, in, in public discourse and, uh, you know, that, that sort of, that ethic is, is reestablished. Then, you know, we're not going to have this entire, uh, architecture of everybody trying to sue one another because they don't know one another. Right. So I think that that, that would be important. Well, let me, let me ask you this too, because when you say Christian, you know, automatically people, they start thinking of, you know, Footloose with the, the town where dancing was right, yeah, yeah, yeah. like that. And like yeah. the, the kind of, um, you know, uh, I guess you could say parochial um, behaviors of, of yeah. puritanical type things. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So like when you see that, are you, is that what you mean? Do you mean that, that we need to go back to maybe more Puritanism or are you talking more about the whole um, looking out for your neighbor thing? I'm saying, yeah, I'm saying, you know, that, that, you know, definitely like the, the actual parables that Jesus taught, but then also, you know, I'm a Roman Catholic. So I'm saying like that, that entire edifice of, you know, scholastic foundations that, you know, from, from Aristotle, through Thomas Aquinas that you see folks later on like Montesquieu and then Jefferson b- borrow these ideas and then, and then build them into the, the constitution uh, that we're, you know, we're living under and that we're um, you know, fighting to defend and, right. uh, or that we did fight to defend. And, you know, so I think just a, a return to reinvestigating and, and reorienting ourselves to, you know, what were the metaphysical and theoretical underpinnings of, of the American constitution and the Ameri- the original American conception of citizenship as, as articulated by the founding fathers. Right. And I think that, 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 that is inseparable from the, um, uh, Christian intellectual tradition. Right. Yeah. I think just going back to, to being good person, right. Yeah. And, and for, for like it or not, most of our conceptions in the Western world of being a good person stem from the Christian definition of being a good person, right. Yeah. Like, yeah. like taking care of your neighbor and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think there's also a danger here, you know, on both sides. I mean, where, if we try to battle this the wrong way, we're going to end up being very much like they are right now, you know, I, yeah. and, and, yeah. and constantly categorizing ourselves as victims and, and complaining about this whole thing with right, right. 
you know, living good lives ourselves. Right. Yep. And, yep. and, uh, you know, what, what bugged me out, I, I follow this, one of my favorite authors, he's, he's an author who writes about stoicism. I'm not going to mm-hmm. say his name, but he's a very famous author mm-hmm. who's written a whole series about stoicism and stillness and all these different yep. things. And he claims that he follows this philosophy and then he goes up on his personal Instagram page, you know, and rightfully so, I think he's running his, his business and he's requesting that people are wearing masks and, and, you know, even though he lives in Texas and, and Texas has said, you don't have to wear a mask, but he's requesting that people wear masks when they come into a store Mm. and somebody had sent him a letter, a very respectful letter saying that, you know, Hey, um, I, I, I can't come to your store anymore because I just don't want to wear a mask. And and she was very nice about it. She just said, you know, Hey, I'm, I don't want to wear a mask. It's, it, it, I don't feel like it's right. Um, I'm a big fan of yours, but I'm, I'm not going to come to your store anymore. Mm-hmm. And he posts the letter. Um, it was an anonymous letter, but he posts the letter and rather than saying, okay, you know, then don't come to my store. Um, I respect your opinion. He goes and he says, well, look, look at what this Karen sent me. Look at what this Karen sent me. Yeah. 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 Yep. And, and, and I immediately lost respect for the guy. I mean, doesn't, I love his work, even though I, I, I disagree with him politically. Um, I love his work, but, but he didn't have to take it there. Right. Right. Say, yeah. Hey, look what yes. this Karen is doing. Right. Yeah. Put that label on her. Yep. Yeah, I think so. I think that there's a very, um, th- yeah, there's a very easy way for folks to to fall to to fall into to the, a similar thing, where that rather than assertively trying to uh, be an example or, or live a flourishing life or to create a flourishing world around them they're similarly in, in a, in a complaining reactive mode, just to, just against the, the other side, which is, we, yeah, which just ends up being a mirror image. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think that, that if you want to fight this thing, the way to do it is, is to be a good citizen, to be active in your community, to be yep. active in your children's lives, to, to, you know, participate in trying to form the, the school system in your community, yep. participate in, in, you know, trying to ensure that there, there are roads to success, uh, mm-hmm. for those around you and things like that, right. To, yep. to get out there to work hard, to achieve, um, to make sure you're voting, make sure that, that, that you're educating yourself on issues and to, to fight this the right way. Yes. Yeah. I totally agree. There was something you said there that I think is, it's another thing that I would add in explicitly to, to the notion of citizenship is that you mentioned the word local. And I think that that is also similarly missing within our vocabulary, this idea of, of localism, right, where you're watching the news and you're being bombarded with international news and national news and even stuff at your local you know, your state level. And it's just the, you know, the, the aperture of, of, of what you can process informationally and handle. It's just, I think what the Dunbar number is something like, you know, people can remember maybe 100 to 120 people would be like a big, you know, tribe. And then after that, people just start abstracting. So, you know, I think just a return to like 
focusing on like the, the American town. I think that that's like a manageable like area of operations, if you will, that I think the average citizen or the average, um, you know, American can like ha- mentally handle and, 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 and concern themselves with, without getting their mind just, just, um, overwhelmed with with this you know this entire storm of international and national level problems that it's just it's overwhelming it's impossible to manage yeah no absolutely absolutely and i think that you know just like anything in life we have we have all these distractions that get that take us away from what's right in front of us and and yeah. push us over toward things that that are hardly ever going to really affect us i mean yeah yeah that will but yeah um I got to get going here in a second, but I, I I know you got an event coming up, and and I know you wanted to talk about that. What what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. Thanks for uh, remembering that. It's a you know it's a two day faith and freedom uh, conference uh, for men at uh, Woodstock, uh, Georgia, at um, a, a church there. You can go to ChristianVeteransUnited.com to get information about it. Uh, we have. You know, an assortments of you know Christian veteran and, and patriot uh, speakers talking you know broadly about about those themes uh, and how they affect men in America, and uh, you know it's not explicitly Christian, but you know some are Christian, some are are um, secular or, or just constitutional, uh, you know oriented. Uh, but that's that's the uh, theme of it. Uh, I got some speakers like uh, Jesse Lee Peterson, uh, Terrence Pop. And um, uh, other folks. So yeah, go to ChristianVeteransUnited.com to uh, check out that information. Awesome, awesome. Well, Mike, I I really appreciate you coming on here, and um, you know, I I think what you're doing is great. Um, you know, is, is where can people uh, connect with you? Where can people get in touch with you? Um, are you on social media still? I am. Yeah, I finally broke down and. You know, I was I was resistant to it, but I finally got a Twitter account. Uh, so I'm um, Doctor Dr. underscore M underscore Robillard uh, at Twitter, and uh, you can find me at Mike, michaelrobillard.com, and that's where my my writings are, and uh, the the link to the uh, men's conference is there as well. Awesome. We'll, we will get that up on the show notes. Anything you want to finish up with here? Um. No, no, that's, that's, that's all, man. You know, I just, just appreciate you having me on, you know, thank you so much for this opportunity to talk to your audience. Uh, I love what it is that you've built and, and, you know, you're, you're living an example of uh, you walk your talk, man. So uh, try, you know. try. I think, um, you know, for the audience at home, you know, we, we talked about some complex issues today and I think the the big takeaways here are, are kind of what we said before, get out there, and be active, be present in your community, be present in your life. Don't, you know, don't sit back and, and, and be a passive participant here. Right. Yep. If, if you want this country to survive, if you want uh, America to survive as, as we all know it, then, then you've got to be an active participant. That doesn't just mean getting on Twitter and screaming at people that means having a positive impact on people's lives, right? Yep. It doesn't, doesn't mean just going out there and, and fighting with fists or anything like that. You need to actually actually influence people and, and you do so positively by educating them, by, by, by uh, helping people, by being a good person, 
So yep. it goes back to the military, lead by example. So I guess that's uh, that's the theme. Exactly. Exactly. To everybody out there, get out there and live your best lives while you can. This is Chris Albert and Mike Robillard. All right, guys, there you have it. That is our interview with Dr. Michael Robillard. I hope you guys got a lot out of that. Above all, I hope that you are making a commitment to getting out there and having a positive impact. Like I said, there's only so much that you can do battling it on social media and posting memes and, and, you know, fighting with the other side on Twitter. Um, what I want you to do is I want you to get out there and have a positive impact, you know, be the person that, that you would want to follow, be the, the neighbor that you would want to have, uh, be the leader in your society that, that you would want to have. And when you come across people like this, you know, do your best to try to help them out. Don't, don't try to be antagonistic. Don't, I mean, obviously I want you to protect yourself. I want you to, I don't want you to be a wimp, but I want you to be an example of, of what America should be. And I think that's what we should all strive for. So with that guys, I want to thank you so much uh, for listening to this podcast. I hope that you are enjoying the content. I'm going to do my best to get some more out to you in a more systematic manner. And uh, with that, I want to thank you so much. I'll be at you next week. This is Chris, Chris Albert with the Warrior Soul Podcast, and I am out.